Hey, on this episode of Locked On MLB, your pal Sully is on location at Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. And we'll be talking about what could have been in terms of the stadium of the Chicago White Sox. Check out this new episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your pal, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. You could follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on both Twitter and Instagram. You follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter and Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I'm an Emmy-nominated television producer, actor, comedian, writer, teacher, all these things. And I've been podcasting for many, many years. And if you watch me on YouTube, you can see that I'm not in Los Angeles or California. That's right. I'm in front of Guaranteed Rate Field, the home of the Chicago White Sox. I'm not 100% sure when this episode is going to drop, but this may show you a little bit of how your pal Sully is wired. You see, I'm en route to Philadelphia, and I'm going to be doing a couple podcasts from Philadelphia. And when I'm there, I was told that I was going to have a eight and a half hour layover in Chicago. Now, I could do a couple of things. I could sit in the waiting room. I could read a book. I could go to the Starbucks or whatever there, or I can jump over to here and do a podcast from outside of a stadium. That's kind of how I'm wired. I wanted to say a couple of things because the existence of this stadium behind me right now is a strange and twisted and turning story involving politics, involving several cities, involving a potential lawsuit, and a gigantic missed opportunity for the Chicago White Sox and their reputation as a team and as a, well, as one of the destination spots in baseball. You know, I've been doing a lot of ballpark traveling. I know a lot of you do a lot of ballpark traveling too. This stadium here, which when I first went to it was called New Comiskey Park. It was called, what was it, Cellular, U.S. Cellular Field for a while. It's guaranteed rate. It's where the White Sox play. You know, they should just call it like Frank Thomas Park or something like that. But, you know, it's usually not listed as one of the places you have to go to. Right up the, uh, the other side of town, Wrigley Field, that's a destination place. And it's not all have to do with the age, too. I mean, Camden Yards, uh, you know, Oracle Park, I almost call them AT&T Park, Old Habits Die Hard. Petco Park in San Diego, they're all considered destination parks if you're a baseball fan. This one, though, kind of missed the boat. Kind of missed the boat. And it's strange because there were so many opportunities for the White Sox to be the big team in their own city or to have a chance to create a brand new ballpark revolution. And none of those happened. I always have a soft spot in my heart for the White Sox. 
I think a big reason is because they are kind of the forgotten franchise in Chicago. A lot of times when people talk about diehard Chicago fans, White Sox fans kind of get lost in the undertow. I remember when the White Sox won the World Series in 2005, and they have a beautiful memorial right in front of the ballpark uh, commemorating the 2005 World Series champions. I remember when they won the World Series, the there were a bunch of TV announcers who were going onto the street asking Cub fans for their take on the White Sox World Series championship. Why not ask White Sox fans? That's just how I wonder. But White Sox fans have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder when you meet them, and they tend to be kind of funny. They tend to have that sort of, everyone's forgotten about us, so we're just going to knuckle down and love our team even more. You see that in Oakland with Oakland A's fans, too. And in a way, you see that with Met fans. You don't see that much with uh, Angel fans, but I digress. It's funny that Chicago always stayed a two-team city. They are, since the formation of the American and National League, they are the only city to have an American National League team the whole time. Not even New York can claim that, because there was a period of time between 1958 and 1961 where the Yankees were the only team in town. The Dodgers and the Giants moved west. The Yankees were all alone in New York. And at that time, the White Sox and Cubs coexisted here in Chicago. You saw Philadelphia lose the A's to Kansas City. You saw Boston lose the Braves to Milwaukee. You saw St. Louis lose the Browns to Baltimore. And yet, during that period of time when there was the demographics of the country were switching, Cities out west were growing. The ability for a city to support two teams was shrinking, while the ability for other teams to support a franchise was growing. The Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs both stayed put in the city. And there's a reason why that happened. The period of time in the 50s, when a lot of teams were kicking the tires and trying to figure out, should we move out west? Should we move to the other cities? Should we be the team in a region that doesn't have a ball club? At that time, the White Sox were really, really good. Now, to be fair, the Brooklyn Dodgers were really, really good. And the New York Giants were really, really good when they up and moved out west. But here's the difference. The White Sox were breaking attendance records. If you look at the way that the White Sox were drawing fans in the late 50s, they were the biggest team in town. They were drawing two million fans back when two million fans was a rarity. And guess what they also did, which the Cubs couldn't claim at that time? They went to the World Series. The White Sox won the 1959 pennant. You could argue that the success of those White Sox teams and the 1959 pennant kept this team in Chicago as all the other cities were seeing their teams ski and daddle, the White Sox were drawing and winning. Now, if they had won that World Series against Los Angeles in 1959, who knows what would have been. But think about that. We associate the 1950s with Brooklyn and the Boys of Summer, but by the end of that decade, the Dodgers were winning the World Series in LA. And the White Sox found their first trip to the World Series since that 1919 
debacle, which uh, you know produced some interesting things in a cornfield in Iowa. But the White Sox weren't going to move. Why would they? They were being successful. But then some hard times hit. And then it started to be clear that maybe the city of Chicago wasn't a two-team city. And with the Cubs starting to gain popularity with the likes of Banks and Billy Williams and all the great stars who were emerging in the 1960s, suddenly when the Cubs were becoming a draw, the White Sox were in jeopardy. And a series of events flipped the baseball world upside down and essentially the existence of the Mariners and the Rays can be directly linked to the Chicago White Sox. And oh yeah, the effect of Camden Yards as well. It all comes together. All right, we're taking a quick break from my trip around the White Sox Stadium. And look who's here. It's Millard Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I don't know. I'm looking for a delicious treat, but won't have all the fatter calories. Do you have any suggestions for me? Yeah, I think you need to try a Bilt Bar, Sully, because get this. I eat Bilt Bars almost every day, Sully Baseball. I try to go to gym. I try to be health conscious. But the thing is, I have a sweet tooth. But it's okay because to to satisfy my craving, I get the Bilt Bar because this thing is low calorie low sugar but it's high in protein it's high in fiber is great for that post gym snack and the best thing about it it's covered in 100 chocolate it's soft it's easy to chew they have unbelievable flavors like churro like what, like what? give me some flavors here I mean, let me tell you sully they got churro they got peanut butter brownie they got coconut almond they got every flavor you can want and the best thing about bill bar is you don't gotta go to just the website anymore sully baseball what? What? Not just built.com. Now, walk into your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club and you can pick up a 13-bar box right now with flavors like brownie, batter, cookies and cream, double chocolate, coconut puffs, all the flavors you can ask for. Go to built.com, go to Walmart, go to Sam's Club, pick up a Built Bar box, and thank me later. I'm thanking you now. You see, I'm here in front of Guaranteed Rate Park in, or is it field? Is it a field or a park? I don't know. It's, I know it's not a stadium, but it's right behind me. That's the home of the White Sox and has been the home of the White Sox since 1991. Now, right behind me, there's parking lot B. That used to be the home of the White Sox. Old Comiskey Park was torn down and made into a parking lot. Now they build the park right next to it and was, uh, kind of revolutionary when that happened but do you know what as I hinted at before the cities of Milwaukee and Seattle and Tampa Bay are all directly linked to the Chicago White Sox playing where I'm looking at right back there in fact the existence of the Brewers Mariners and Tampa Bay Rays are all interconnected with the fact that there's no stadium in parking lot B and there is right behind it. Let me explain. Yes, the White Sox were a tremendous draw in the 1950s, saving the franchise from playing footsie with other cities that were dying of a team, like Atlanta, like Houston, like Dallas, like San Diego. 
and in the end, like New York. But attendance started to drop and the popularity of the Cubs started to skyrocket. Suddenly, Chicago did not look like a two-city team anymore, or two-team city anymore. Well, the Milwaukee Braves moved from Boston to Milwaukee in the 1950s, broke National League attendance records, went to a couple World Series, had Henry Aaron, and so therefore you would assume we're going to be a mainstay in Milwaukee forever. Well, forever meant another decade. Attendance dropped in Milwaukee despite having Henry Aaron and Eddie Matthews, and suddenly the Braves moved to Atlanta. There was no team in Milwaukee. And some good folks in Milwaukee wanted to change that. And they set their eyes on the White Sox. The White Sox played a couple of, quote, home, unquote, games in Milwaukee County Stadium as kind of a trial run to see if maybe if the White Sox moved to Milwaukee, Milwaukee gets a team, Chicago becomes a one-team city, and Milwaukee is close enough to Chicago that if some of the fans here refuse to sign their allegiance with the Cubs, they could remain White Sox fans. Okay, cool. But it didn't turn out that way. Instead, a fellow named Bud Selig, remember him? He did a few unsavory things with baseball over the years. His first really big unsavory thing is he looked at the expansion Seattle Pilots. The Pilots. You may not even know they existed. The Pilots were an expansion team in Seattle in 1969, and it was a disaster. They played in an open-air stadium. Half their games were rained out. Their attendance were horrible. The team went bankrupt after one year. Read the book Ball Four by Jim Bouton. You'll know everything you need to know about the Seattle Pilots. Well, as it turned out, they needed new ownership. Bud Selig, a used car salesman from Milwaukee, decided to be part of a group that bought the Seattle Pilots and then moved them to Milwaukee, possibly illegally, for the 1970 season where they became the Brewers. So what does this have to do with the White Sox? Bear with me. The city of Seattle threatened to sue Major League Baseball over the illegal moving of the Pilots. And the only way they were not going to go through a lawsuit and expose Major League Baseball's questionable antitrust exemption was if they got a team. Well, with the White Sox having a little bit of a resurgence in the early 70s, saw their attendance dip again, the ownership of the White Sox said, forget this. And along came Danny Kay. Danny Kay, the comedian and actor, the secret life of Walter Mitty, ask your grandparents. He wanted to buy the White Sox and move them to Seattle. They were going to be the Seattle White Sox and virtually nothing was going to stand in their way. The White Sox were going to leave the city of Chicago to the Cubs. Seattle was going to get their team and baseball was going to avoid an antitrust exemption. And everybody was happy. But you may have made a mental note. There is no Seattle White Sox. They're still here. Well, what happened was Bill Veck, one of the most fascinating and colorful figures in the history of baseball, read the book Veck is in Wreck. This is basically turning into a book club. He had owned the White Sox when they were super successful. 
in the 50s and he was looking to buy them again. And he said, if I raise enough money, I'll keep them in Chicago. There wasn't a person on the planet Earth who thought he was going to be able to pull it off. And he did. He bought the White Sox, put them in those lapel uniforms, gave them shorts, did Disco Demolition Night. All of a sudden, you had the South Street, what was it, what was it the South Side Mashers? Or what they? they just, he basically, any slugger who was on the verge of free agency was acquired by the White Sox so they could have their walk year hitting home runs in the stadium that used to exist in this parking lot. The White Sox suddenly became fun again. Their announcer was Harry Carey, for goodness sakes. But Seattle didn't have a team. And in came the threats of the lawsuit. And with Major League Baseball facing said lawsuit, suddenly they said, hey, let's have an expansion. And the Seattle Mariners were born. So the Brewers exist because the White Sox didn't move to Milwaukee. The Mariners exist because the White Sox didn't move to Seattle. But ah, there's more. Comiskey Park was not beloved like Fenway or Wrigley. It was crumbling. It was starting to fall apart. I never actually went to a game there. I thought it looked pretty cool. And there were all sorts of plans. Move them to the suburbs. Build a dome. Build a stadium next to Soldier Field. Lots of plans for the White Sox. And then suddenly, St. Petersburg in Florida said, Hey, there's no major league team in Florida. Why not here? And they built the stadium without a team to put it in. It was called the Suncoast Dome. And there, we're sitting there in Florida saying, Major League Baseball, if you're having trouble with your city, we've got a stadium waiting for you. Remember, it's harder to move a Major League Baseball team. The reason is most cities, even small cities, have an arena that you could put an NBA team in, at least temporarily. Most metropolises, even if they don't have an NFL team, there's a large college nearby and you'd be able to put a team in there, at least for the time being. But there's not a lot of 30, 40,000 seat baseball stadiums sitting around because college baseball isn't that huge. And so St. Petersburg says, we'll be the city you can move your team to. And the White Sox said, did we mention we're looking for a new ballpark? And so the White Sox and the St. Petersburg City Council began talks of moving them from Chicago to Tampa Bay. And it looked like it was all but done in the mid-1980s. Just 10 years after saving them from Seattle, just 20 years of saving them from Milwaukee, they were off to St. Petersburg. And then suddenly, in the Chicago City Council, stunning that there may have been something quasi-corrupt going on there, they turned over enough cushions and they found enough money to build a park in Chicago for the White Sox. So they stayed here again. And team after team flirted with St. Petersburg, the Giants, the Twins, the Mariners, the Rangers, an expansion that avoided them until finally the Devil Rays and eventually the Rays were formed starting in 1998. So the Brewers exist because the White Sox wouldn't have moved. The Mariners exist because the White Sox wouldn't move. The Rays exist because the White Sox wouldn't move. So, ah, 
comes along the new stadium. But even that has an intrigue of missed opportunity. Uh, thanks for making Lockdown MLB your first listen every day. Your second listen, I'll have it be Millard Thomas, my buddy at Lockdown Diamondbacks. But for your third listen, what should it be, Millard? The Lockdown MLB Prospect Show. Well, host Lindsey Crosby, he's a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's go back to Chicago. So the governor saved the White Sox. They weren't going to move to suburban Addison County. They weren't going to move to St. Petersburg. They were going to stay right here in Chicago. But where were they going to play? Obviously, Comiskey Park was not going to be feasible anymore. And there were several ideas. But you have to remember, we're talking about the late 1980s, early 1990s. St. Petersburg just built a dome, which they thought was state-of-the-art. Baseball stadiums were in a little bit of a sense of stagnancy at the time. There was still a lot of the cookie-cutter multi-purpose stadiums. You had the, you know, the only stadium that was built and opened in the 1980s for baseball was the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome in Minnesota, which was also the home of the Vikings. It also looked like a souffle. And the White Sox were going to be a baseball-only park. We hadn't had a baseball-only park in the major leagues since the building of what we now call Kauffman Stadium. It was originally called Royal Stadium. Now, an architect named Philip Bess, who was from Chicago, had an idea to try to emulate the old ballparks, you know, like Wrigley up up the uh, up the street from here, Fenway, old Forbes Field, old Crosley Field in Cincinnati, and submitted several plans to the city for what was going to be called Armor Field. It was going to resemble the polo grounds in New York. It was going to have an old-time feel. It was going to have nostalgia with all the modern amenities that a stadium could have. You weren't going to have the narrow hallways, and you weren't going to have these, the uncomfortable seats that you had at Comiskey Park, and frankly, you still have at Fenway. You would have everything you would want in modern conveniences, but it would have an old-time feel. Several other plans were submitted as well. People were designing places like, eventually going to do Camden Yards and other places, all submitted. Philip Bess's plan looked like it was going to incorporate the city of Chicago, traditional baseball, and the modern conveniences of a stadium. It was rejected. And what was built was New Comiskey Park. Now, New Comiskey Park, which I attended its opening season, had many qualities that you would want in a modern stadium. The concourses were wide, the, the aisles were uh, you know navigatable and they still threw in some things perhaps you could see behind me right there right in the background the pinwheels from old Comiskey Park were brought over so there were some nods to the old ballpark but it was going to be a new experience here's the problem it was sterile there was no character to it yeah it had all the modern conveniences but it felt like a shopping mall and not only that there was a big, big, big obsession in the 1990s for luxury boxes. They built so many luxury boxes that the upper deck, the first row of the upper deck of New Comiskey Park would have been at the same level as the last row of the upper deck of the old park. 
and the upper deck was raked so steep when my father and I attended the game it was actually scary walking up the stairs it felt like the old Adam West Batman TV show when they were walking up the side of the building it was it was felt like you were climbing up a 90 degree angle they blew it the next year Camden Yards opened in Baltimore and even though the Orioles stunk the Orioles had packed houses virtually every single night because fans were clamoring for that old-timey ballpark feel that was delivered in spades in Baltimore. The great sense of all the modern amenities, but it felt like an old-time ballpark. And then you saw all the other cities lining up to do that. Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. They built one in Denver. They built one in Philadelphia. Heck, they even tore down Shea Stadium and Yankee Stadium to bring that about. They brought one in San Diego, which is one of the most ball beautiful ballparks in the world. The one in San Francisco probably is. And Chicago was stuck. Now, to be fair, they have done a lot of renovations to the ballpark, which is now called Guaranteed Rate Field. The upper deck is no longer as raked. There's a little more character to it. There's a little more color to it. But essentially, the White Sox had the chance to be the leader of the parade. The White Sox could have had the stadium that everyone would have turned to, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, as a destination park. The Orioles stunk for the first bunch of years they played in Camden Yards, and the place was packed because people wanted to go there. Now, you see empty games in Baltimore in the last bunch of years because they've stunk and maybe the appeal of the newness of the stadium has worn off a little bit. Who knows, maybe the Orioles are going to say, hey, we're looking for a Camden Yards type park. It could have been here. It could have been here. And that could have been the ending to the saga of the White Sox that gave us the formation of the Brewers, the Mariners, the Rays, and it could have ended with the stadium that would have rivaled Wrigley Field. Instead, we've got a good park. That's a nice ballpark. But what could have been? Well, I'll tell you what could have been with me. I had a little fun here, giving us a little tour of why what's behind me is there. And who knows? Maybe I'll check out some other ballparks along the way. But follow us at Lockdown MLB pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully right there. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Taking advantage of a flight layover to do an on-location podcast in Chicago of all places. This is Locked On MLB. I'm your host Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>